Hello, everybody, and welcome to a Cana Rinse interview special. It's one of those special podcasts that we like to slip into your feed as the opportunity arises. Uh, and I recently put a shout out uh, saying, you know, who among our community would like to be interviewed. And one of those who put themselves forward was somebody who I know has been uh, engaging with us for quite some time now and uh, very pleased to finally get to talk to Mr. Tom Hewlett. Welcome. Hi, everybody. I'm super psyched to actually be on Canaan Rinse. Ah, oh, well, yeah. So, um I guess you does your does your knowing about us this is a very egocentric way to start this interview but does your knowing about us go back to when we were covering the Silent Hill games that you worked on I think so I think I read a article on the the 15 podcasts you should be following Vice. or the five podcasts or something thank you Vice. and it happened yeah it ha- oh yeah the vice article it yeah. happened to coincide with your Silent Hill it did yeah series so I was like oh my gosh they're going to play these games I don't think you were on mine yet so I I was very anticipatory. Yeah. But um, I love your approach to talking about games. So I keep listening in about, I think it's about two years now. Well, thank you. Uh, and yeah, it's great. It's it's always great to hear from developers. And it seems that we have uh, we we have some respect among developers be- just because of the way we approach critique. So even when we're not especially nice to a game, um, <laughs> you know, uh, as as we've had with Dennis Dyack with Eternal Darkness and Too Human, even when we've we've not been you know o- overwhelmed uh, with our our praise towards something. Um, we try to be very even-handed and fair and balanced and, and understand that a lot of heart and soul goes into making these games, even if the end product isn't always what everyone involved and bought them wanted them to be. So uh, <laughs> we're quite aware that we, you know, we have friends in the industry. We know people in the team have, have, have worked in and around the industry as well. And also it's just, um, yeah, we just like to be a bit of an antidote to the, the general internet culture, which, as you found out uh, firsthand, can be pretty uh, pretty brutal at times. You might say that. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk more about that later, uh, the Silent Hill experience. Um, but I also want to talk um, about you as, uh, you know, presumably like all of us, before you got into the industry, you were a young gamer. So uh, you, did you follow the typical, what I think of as the typical US uh, young gamer route of a Nintendo Entertainment System and, and all that or something more quirky? No, I'm going to twist it. Uh, so there was a rainy day when I was very young, probably six, five or six. Yeah. And my mom pulled out the Atari 2600. Cool. And so uh, I played Space Invaders. That was my first game. And I instantly fell in love with video games, which is, you know, I think my parents had the system because they had gotten it for the fad and were over them. It was already vintage but, by this stage. Yeah. Because you're, you're not an old man. You're, 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 I was born in 1980. So this yeah. is mid-80s, early mid-80s. Yeah. So it was already um, so the, a... The crash yeah. had happened. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. So played that. And then I begged them for an NES when my neighbor got one. Yeah. And so, of course, they bought me the, the 7800 Atari, which was on clearance. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Um, a more powerful I machine. Found, <laughs> indeed. It had came with Pole Position 2. Awesome. Had some great uh, games on that. Some of the, You could get some of the LucasArts games on that, some of the early Lucasfilm games like Ball Blazer and Rescue on Fractalus and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never. I didn't, I don't think I ever dove into actual 7800 games, but the, uh, all the older games were on clearance. So I got Adventure and Vanguard and stuff like that and commando oh, i got a port of commando capcom's commando oh yeah wow was yeah not a great port no. um <laughs> it was very hard think... to port uh coin ops from the yeah from the sort of 
83, 84 onwards on 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 that hardware. But I mean, they they couldn't even manage a good Pac-Man port. No, right. Atari, so. Famous rush um, though, to be fair. But yeah, yeah. But then I begged them enough, or my my friend's mom begged them enough. I don't know. But then I got uh, an NES, so me and my neighbor could each get different games and then sort of try out a wider variety of the library. And then, then it was all Nintendo for a while. Okay. And and also, uh, I presume at this point, you ended up working for them. You would have uh, started experiencing Konami games, certainly some of those famous home versions of, you know, specific NES versions of games that they had at the arcades, like Castlevania or Bionic Commando and things like that. Of course. They were, they were the best. The Nintendo, Capcom, and Konami were the best on NES. Yeah. So was it, uh, was it an ambition early on then to go and work for... One of these big Japanese mega giant video game companies? Um, I think it was Mega Man 2 when I first became conscious that like human beings made these games. Right. Mm. Um, I don't know why it took that. that long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so somewhere shortly after that, I was like, if, if people make these, I could make these. And so I spent most of my recesses at school drawing game levels or awesome. game enemies or whatever I could on the ground with my friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of how the ambition started. That do you know, I've just had something of a of a revelation. Uh, uh, this is a conversation I've had with uh, with people many times over the years, how do you, how do you get into games and as I say often there's a there's a theme um different you know, different sides of the Atlantic uh with us over here. It was the 8-bit computers, Spectrum, Commodore mm-hmm. 64, and Amstrad, and and you guys. It tends to be the the NES. But I just realised that a comment that you made there about you know suddenly realising at some point that humans made these games. I wonder if us uh, us UK or European folks have a slightly different angle on this because our title screens always used to have people's names on them. So from the beginning, mm. it would always say, you know, on the loading screen, or on the on the, on the the splash screen at the start, by such and such. It even got to the point where some developers, even as far back as the 80s, were known kind of celebrities in the computer game world. Um, and even musicians as well, like Rob Hubbard and people like that. But whereas in America, if you were playing Nintendo Karts, um not only were the credits hidden away that it's not like now where you bring up a there's a menu on the title screen saying here click here for credits um you'd have to complete the game and then even if you completed the game all the names would be in either japanese or they'd be pseudonyms so and given the difficulty with which you know it, the, the the amount of skill and persistence it took to complete games back then it's no wonder that perhaps perhaps uh kids in the usa had less of an idea of who was actually providing this magic entertainment for them that's a good that's actually probably right on i think you're onto something i mean i I had friends i remember that didn't even know different companies made them they just assumed nintendo yep magically created every game um yeah probably because the a lot of the logos were on the title screen they weren't separate splash images yet yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's all license and sublicense, and obviously everything came through Nintendo at that point because of the the cartridge manufacturing and uh, and and yeah, the the fact that like we talked about before, they wouldn't allow companies to pro- produce more than a certain number of releases per year on the NES and the Super Nintendo. Uh, and Konami themselves um, came a cropper with that to the point that they started setting up companies under different names, didn't they, To you know, with, <laughs> with different addresses, basically, so they, they could put out as many different titles as they wanted. So you ended up with these uh, 
uh, like Palcom and people like that making making games. Yep. So how how did you get from so Mega Man to uh, Cap, Capcom? Um, was there ever an ambition to specifically to to go and work at Capcom USA, or was Konami something that you pursued from early on in your sort of your adult life? Um, I think. Yeah, I think I wanted to work for Capcom. I remember when I was a kid, I made a I, – I, for some reason I thought I, – I, I was really into comics too. Um, right. So I thought I could make a newspaper strip about Mega Man, <laughs> and I made a book of it. So, you know, 32 pages of three strips a page or something, and I sent it to Capcom to say like, hey, look, I could draw. And I couldn't draw at all, but <laughs> I thought I could. Uh, and I remember getting back a letter that said, we do not accept sol- unsolicited game ideas. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, which is a good policy, good for them. But I was I was upset for years that like, it's not a game. You didn't even, you didn't even read my letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, so early on, um, uh, Virgin Games found me, the American branch of Virgin Games. Ah, yeah. Um, the guy that lived down, we moved, and the guy that lived down the street from our new house knew my dad and this man happened to work at virgin games right so he invited me in to take a tour and then um they were having arguments internally about whether their games were too hard or not hmm. and so they found out through the grapevine that i could get past level three in battletoads from rare hmm. no one no one at virgin could get past level three so they is, brought is me in the, to test is that is that, that tunnel? the speeder bike speeder yes. bike yes yeah of so, course yeah so they brought me in on the summers to test games all right but I later figured out explicitly so they could point at me and go, see, he can beat the game. It's not too hard. He's a kid. Hmm. Um, so I was about 12 then, but that was my first paying industry job because because I could get far in Battletoads. That's brilliant. So, yeah, we can all uh, endure that uh, or enjoy it, depending on how you look at it on Rare Replay now. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it's you can get one of those um, little achievement badges or whatever it is for... Uh, for doing some of that stuff. Um, yeah, I kind of missed out on the whole uh, Battletoads thing first time around because I didn't have an NES and because I was too old for cartoons like Battletoads. Uh, but you, you'd have been about the right age, I guess. So yep. how, how long were you doing stuff for uh, Virgin in America there? Um, two summers. So that would be a tested uh, yeah, what, Global what Gladiators. Oh, right, Prince Mickey of, Mac. Prince of Persia ports. Um, yeah. Uh, Legends of Kyrandia book one. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and then I think it was the next year was Aladdin. That was the main one, and then somehow I got Jungle Book. Aladdin, obviously not the Capcom one. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah, the prettier one, but maybe not the best one. I don't mm-hmm. know anymore. Um, was it Shinji Mikami, wasn't it? The other, or was it? Uh, yeah, no, uh, was it? Uh, uh, was someone it? else. Shinji Mikami was Goof Troop. Yeah, it was um, Bayonetta guy, wasn't it? Uh, yes, yes, his, yes, yes, yes. His name suddenly escapes me. And uh, me too. But Kamiya, yeah. Kamiya-san, Kamiya. crazy, crazy Kamiya. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, that was those are the big ones I can remember. Um, but that 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 job helped me buy Street Fighter Two and yes. Mario Paint and all sorts of games. Mario Paint. Somebody uh, knocked up a Kane and Rince logo in Mario Paint and uh, sent us a picture the other day. So uh, it's nice to know that's still going. Was that, <laughs> is that partially responsible for you being able to uh, express your creative urges in Mario Paint? Yeah, I learned, that's how I learned about sprites and really? tiles and things, yeah. Huh. Did you get into Mario Maker at all more recently? Or were you, um, were you beyond that now as somebody who's working at a place that actually produces you know, sprite-based games and things? No, we have some of the WayForward people that had it were having a little contest. Like I thought for, they might. For a couple months, we had a monthly contest, and we had themed levels or levels where you had to use a limited number of, of objects and, and stuff. It was fun. 
did WayForward get one of the ones that they uploaded as like a special guest um, um, level? James Montagna awesome. did. Oh, He's okay. one of our directors. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Good stuff. Yeah, I probably played that then. Hopefully uh, the whole Mario Maker thing will come back around on Switch. Uh, it seems like another license or another game that perhaps would have done better on a more successful platform. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I can see that turning up again in some form. Uh, yeah, I don't mind that they're re-releasing no, God Wii no. U games because it, it seems like a really no-brainer. Like, hey, you, these are some of your greatest games and no one yeah, played them. Totally. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Yeah, like even as somebody who has a Wii U, loves their Wii U, doesn't have a mm-hmm. Switch yet, I've got no issue with that whatsoever. I'm just really looking forward to playing Mario Kart 8 Deluxe you know, a, a better, ver- better looking version with more features and and everything. When it's when so I can good, it. you've got you've got a switch, have you? Yeah, I've I've never played two hundred CC or whatever the top class oh, was on Christ. Wii U, but oh. it's here, and I thought I'll, wow. I'll try it out. It's, it's brutal, but it's it, so much fun. <laughs> it is totally brutal. Power sliding kind of goes out the window a bit unless you're some <laughs> kind of genius. It's more. It's it reminds me more of like burnout or something like crashing yes. around, crashing around every corner and uh, just trying to keep as keep it together as much as possible. Uh, but yes, Kate, we we had a cane and rinse game night. I wasn't involved because I still only have a Wii U. But um, but yeah, listeners, look out for, for <laughs> Mario Kart Eight Deluxe game nights coming your way soon, and hopefully I shall join in later this year because I'll have to get a switch pre mario odyssey if if not before anyway that's a complete sidetrack we're talking about your career uh so you did some stuff uh some testing and stuff for virgin really not i don't think we've ever mentioned legend of a Kyrandia on cane and rinse before uh, i remember that as being a, a a very lush looking point and click adventure yes uh and yeah i remember it coming out on the amiga over here uh it, it was still at the time when the amiga was still perhaps uh, predominant in the home computer market, just just ahead of the PC kind of starting to take over and before the SNES and the Mega Drive really, really hit. So that would have been a slightly different um, testing job for you compared to Mick and Mac or, or Aladdin because you're, yeah. you're testing the kind of the interface and the puzzles and I suppose that it's a different sort of difficulty to, uh, to some, of those, um, some of those platformers. Yeah, and I I don't think I ever beat it, which is weird because I was okay. testing it. So I I guess no one helped me pass the part I was stuck huh. on. I don't know. No, but yeah, I never finished in those it. days. No, uh, and and if anyone had been writing a, a solution book, it probably would have been you. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if um, anyone if anyone yeah. knows how to get past the gargoyles, let me know. That, yeah, I think I think the gargoyles is a famous sticking point, the same as the goat in Broken Sword, possibly. Um, mm. Was there ever a book two, Carandia? Yes, I think there was a book three. Oh wow! Okay, I think maybe but that was after came. That was after my time. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. We well, came to Amiga. Yeah. So um, another thing, question that immediately pops into my head regarding testing um, those Mega Drive sixteen-bit uh, games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a while back now on Kane and Rinse. I can't remember which uh, which podcast it was, but we were talking about how we we learned through research that. Because of the rental market being such a huge thing, and blockbuster rentals in particular, uh, it was common to put a very deliberate, massive difficulty spike in the sort of second or third level in those games, particularly um, the Disney licensed games of that era, because obviously they were popular rentals for parents, for kids who couldn't afford to buy the full price cartridge. So was that something that you were you actually asked to advise on that difficulty spike? Or was it a case of, you know, well, I, I'm good, I can beat it. 
Um, so kids will be able to make it a bit harder then because we don't we don't want them renting the cartridge and completing it kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'd say that was above my pay grade. I was just a dumb kid. So maybe <laughs> maybe they were uh, doing that. But uh, I mean, it was definitely there if you think back. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the closest the, the biggest story I have is uh, near the end of of Mick and Matt Global Gladiators being done. Uh, Dave Perry called me into his office. And sat me down with the the game and said, like, beat this as fast as you can. Hmm. And then he went off to a meeting um, and then a long time passed. And I beat it again. And then a long time passed. And he came back and went, you're still here? <laughs> um, so Dave Perry had put a kid in his office and forgotten me. Um, <laughs> it, it's fine. Uh, I beat the game a couple times. But... <laughs> Oh, I hear he's a nice guy, though, apart from forgetting children. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he showed me how to do Star Road in Super Mario World back when wow. it was only in Japan. So That is, that is brutal. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did that back in the day uh, on, on a PAL version, which maybe possibly made it slightly easier. But, uh, yeah, I still <laughs> consider all 96 exits on Super Mario World as one of my, one of my uh, sort of gaming achievements, milestones, never to be bettered. <laughs> So this takes us up to yeah your second you you've done a couple of years at Virgin as as a as, as a low pay grade tester but what an awesome job to have at that age um, so what came next so next um, the internet was a thing and so I entered the world of the internet via America Online oh, um, mm. and uh, met some people and some of them said they were starting game companies and I said oh I've worked for game companies I'll uh, be your designer and then it's also easy Um, my friend um, also auditioned applied and they turned him down and I thought that's dumb Hmm. I want to work with my friend and so we decided to make our own game company and so this was senior year of high school right and uh, so we registered our company and we got licensed by Nintendo somehow as a a licensed developer and started making a role-playing game on the Game Boy Color okay see now you're talking about things that I didn't really know about you. Um, <laughs> my internet research did not did not bring this up. Um, your CV shows uh, Konami and Way Forward, um, but this stuff this is all new to me. So, which what's the game and what's the company? It was so our company was called Team Excalibur, spelled uh-huh. X K A L U B U R, like a like a bad square Game Boy yeah. localization, right? Because <laughs> um, I love those games, and so. The game was called Mithri, M-Y-T-H-R-I, uh-huh. and we did a big petition to, to get try to get publishers to notice us, and they sort of did, but they it never got published, and we worked on it for five years and wow. uh, got a bunch of people to work for free, and uh, somehow, uh, and a bunch of them are now in the industry, so that's good. Yeah. I can feel yeah. good about that. And uh, the la- one of the last companies that we approached for publishing was Atlas USA. And so I met people there, and then I applied to test at Atlas, and I became a tester at Atlas. Aha, I see. So, yeah, so I, 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 knowing now that your game Mithri didn't get published, I don't feel so bad for not having heard of it. It's unlike <laughs> me not to have heard of a game, uh, as I hope you realise from listening to Caden Rince. It does happen, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it normally takes it to have not actually been published but five years to work on a on an unpublished game like obviously good things came out of it ultimately but at the time that must have been a bit concerning or and and difficult you know were you, were you operating on business loans or or were you um, part-time it, in a coffee shop or 
it was it was mainly yeah just each person paying for their own way with their part-time jobs um it was i think it was a good thing to do in college since um we didn't have game game colleges then so yeah it was like a really long group project and you know looking back there's we i mean we we went through phases where we were pitching we'll do licensed games or we'll do ports mm. or um you know that was all good we did some things right we did some things totally backwards um <laughs> right. but it's interesting to look back and see um our our first publisher was supposed to be that company that accepted me but, but denied my friend and then they <laughs> and this internet company we heard about just vanished believe it or not <laughs> and then yeah. an, another company that my friend was starting said they'd publish us um but they kept trying to get us to do more work this was later on when we had people we were all older yeah we had lives we needed more money to live and so it was like if you get us the funding, we can make the game. And they kept saying, can you make more? Can you enhance the demo? Can you do more? And we had to say no. And then eventually that ended. But right. um, if people want to see more about Mithri, they yeah. can go to Unseen 64. And there's oh, okay. a, they don't have an article yet, but they, I gave them a bunch of uh, assets. So you oh, can look brilliant. at the graphics and the Were you happy like with it? Was it, was it coming, coming along well? It was, uh, graphically, I thought it was really good. Mm. Um, the music is complete. I think that's up on Unseen 64. Um, the the composer was Ian Stalker, who makes the Escape Goat games now. All right, <laughs> and uh, and Spellcaster, I think the music is fantastic. I think it's the best music on the Game Boy Color. All right, and the story I wrote, the design I wrote, I'm I'm pretty happy with them. They're pretty archaic. It's a very old style RPG, so I wouldn't if I mm. people a couple people that that port unreleased games have asked me to port it and i'm i'm not sure i'm comfortable like porting that design now because it's yeah. i don't think people would like playing an rpg that old but um mm. and the programming was the least far along unfortunately so right. it was it was difficult to play it <laughs> yeah i'm i can understand yeah and uh, i'm thinking now oh yeah i we're, because we're, we're gonna tackle final fantasy one and final fantasy two later this year on, on the podcast and i'm thinking, oh you're doing two? Oh. One and two yeah you're a big fan <laughs> Um, I love one still. I two is inscrutable and terrible. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not to not to, we'll to say it's Kane and Rince opinion. That's unofficial. That oh, doesn't sure. reflect Kane and Rince or the. No. <laughs> well, no, we haven't played it yet. So, um, well, uh, I haven't. Uh, but no, it's interesting. I've I've heard a few different uh, takes on on Final Fantasy two. But uh, sometimes the most uh, curious games make for the most interesting shows. But um, but yeah, you saying you saying a, a a late '90s, early 2000s RPG might be a bit clunky now is ringing alarm bells thinking we're going back even further and i'm currently playing the witcher one which is only 10 years old and finding that quite clunky in its own way so uh it certainly is the case that um yeah it's it's often the the advances in uh control and interface and ui and all that stuff they these things improve almost without you noticing and and then it takes you going back to actually realize what's kind of what's happened in in the meantime Mm -hmm. and so you're work. If, <clears throat> I'm interested in the fact that you were working on ostensibly on a Game Boy Color game for five years because that console didn't even last five years. I mean, the um, uh, famously the Game Boy Color arrived late, like nine years after the original Game Boy, because that had been such a success. And obviously there were concerns regarding battery life and stuff. But then, almost as soon as the Game Boy Color arrived, three years down the line, they released the super duper amazing Game Boy Advance. So what years did your project Mithri span? Um, so it started in 98 
And then shortly after the GBA came out, that's when that second publisher I mentioned came in. And so then we were talking about a Game Boy Advance port. Mm. So we redid a lot of the graphics, not all of them, because by then, again, we needed money. But I see. we redid some of the graphics. So I see. Okay. It would have looked been... more like Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And then you've been two, two years away from the DS version as well. So <laughs> that's how it goes. Welcome to the video games industry. True. Yeah. So Atlas, yeah. So this this uh, this does show up on your IMDb and uh, and elsewhere. So you worked. It looks like you worked on localization mainly. Is that right? Uh, as, you're credited as editor according to IMDb, but I don't know. Is it, that's not a, it's not a name of a job I'm so familiar with from video games. Yeah. So I started as QA. Right. Um, and early on, they let go, or the guy quit. One of their localization people. Mm. So there was a week where they'd signed a project um, called Robopon 2, which is the sequel to Robopon 1, yep. which no one's ever heard of. No. Nope. Um, <laughs> You've done it again. That's two. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's Hudson's uh, uh, RIP Hudson. It's Hudson's yeah. Pokemon with robots, basically. Okay. Um, they had no one to do it, and they were like, what are we going to do? And I said, hey, I'm an English major. I would localize this game for you. And so they said, okay, um, for some reason. So I localized Robopon 2, and it was a game not many people cared about, so I probably took too many liberties with the text. Mm -hmm. I changed a lot <laughs> of it. Um, I got it out of my system, which was good. Right. But I did that. And then um, tested, let's see, I tested games like uh, Wizardry for PS2, uh, Tsuganai, and Hoshigami. For PS1, and then somewhere in there, uh, you know, that's QA. So they, I was technically QA, even though I was doing localization. So mm. it's uh, seasonal work. If they don't have a game, you don't come to work and don't get paid. So there were a few on and off again, you know, periods where I had to get three jobs at retail to make ends meet. And somewhere in there, they signed uh, River City Ransom EX for the Game Boy Advance. Ah, yes. And I said, I went to my boss and I said, I love River City Ransom. I have to work on this game. Please, 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 please. And so they let me. And so I localized River City. And then after that, they said, hey, instead of QA, why don't you be keep doing QA? But now you're a localization editor. Right. And so I did Phantom Brave, which was an NIS yeah. game after Disguise 1. And... A couple more. I, I guess I did more testing again. I did like Shining Force for GBA, Double Dragon Advance. Um, oh, some we more games. Double Dragon uh, on the show soon, <laughs> including, <laughs> including at least one line on the advanced version. So excellent. Yeah, you get to fight Matrix guys on top of a truck. It's very, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's very of its time. Um, and so then they said, okay, you're full time somewhere in there, which was great. Yeah, and I was a full time game industry dude. And then um, they said, hey, we're going to let you lead um, projects. And we have this weird DS game that nobody wants to work on. Yeah, you're a doctor or something. So uh, this is your first project. And I so I was what This is trauma I was center. the lead on Trauma Center Under the wow. Knife. You see, you need to up, well, somebody needs to update your, your uh, CVs <laughs> online because there's so much stuff missing here. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah, I remember uh, playing Trauma Center. So presumably, as I was, if I was playing the English version over here, it was probably your 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 localization. I work believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So are you? Is this to say that you're fluent in Japanese and you can translate, <laughs> or are you actually doing doing that part yourself? Unfortunately, no. So uh, right. in college, I took Japanese. 
And I got to the part where I could, if I set my mind to it, which I usually didn't because it was a headache, but I could muddle through a manga by, you know, yeah, I could read a hundred kanji and I could look up other kanji if I needed to. That's good guy. Um, that lasted approximately until I worked at Atlas. Mm-hmm. And then we had translators who would do the translation and they, you know, they'd give you the cultural, um, this is an in-joke in Japan, or this yeah. is a joke on this concept or whatever. Sure. So I knew, you know, I knew enough Japanese to muddle through the games before they were translated because items are usually written in katakana, which is easy to read. And I could ask the right questions, but I lost all my ability to use Japanese. <laughs> right. So the only the only phrase I know now is excuse, in Japanese is excuse me, I speak very little Japanese. That's handy. Sumimasen and the rest I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So yeah, sumimasen is the most important word to know in Japanese. So absolutely, you're yeah. good to go. Yeah. But yeah, but, so yeah, that's embarrassing, but it's true. <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, you know, many many hands make light work and all that. Um, and it's good to hear that after after one um, dalliance with um, playing fast and loose with uh, cultural references and stuff, it's something again that we talked about a lot on on Kane and Rince, especially when we're talking about Japanese localized games and particularly our Persona fans among the team. Um, how important a a solid and sensitive localization is, and I guess as a fan now of um, even though you like like us would have played those 90s RPGs with their very kind of um, US-centric language and tone, right. uh, often kind of missing not only the subtleties of, of the language and stuff, but also the, the, like the, the tone and the sentiment of the piece where the, 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 the translators, the, localized, the localization team would take it upon themselves to pretty much tell a completely different and often far more lighthearted story <laughs> to the one that the developers were trying to... So, but you, you obviously are aware now that, uh, it, I mean, not that you're currently doing that kind of work, but presumably by the time you were doing this in the mid 2000s, you were kind of wanting to do the best by the game that you were given that you could. Yeah. So I was a really big fan of working designs growing up. So I loved their weird yes, modern localization. Yeah, sure. But then once I was doing it, I kind of became less of a fan because I saw how much they must have changed and mm had gotten it out of my system. So um, once I was sort of the, the full-time editor person, me and uh, Bill Alexander, who is the, he's more important now. He was the head of localization then. I think he's head of production now. Um, but we kind of set aside set aside some time and, and sorted out, like here's Atlas's view, official view on localization. And we decided, you know, how much do you change? What do you change? Why do you change it? And, and how do you go about doing that? And as well as all the grammatical, you know, at, at Atlas, we put the exclamation point before the question mark and an interrobang, you know, stuff like that. Uh-huh. So um, I, they still use a lot of that to today, which is makes me proud um, yeah. um, to know. But that's sort of where we decided, like, hey, we're, we're all about they'd had some they'd had some weirdness early on in the PS1 where they changed a ton, mm. um, which didn't go over well. And it's still it's still a sticking point with persona fans. You know, they're like, Oh, are you going to change all of this? I was like, no, we mm. haven't changed all of that in years and years. <laughs> None of those people have worked here in a very long time. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. um, yeah. So we just wanted to do right by the games and make sure that the U S fans who it was clear, uh, not just with Atlas then, but with, of Japanese games in general, the fans wanted to know the real game. They were in it for the true experience. They didn't want yeah. American watered down, whatever. 
Yeah, and when I say that, I, I don't mean to um, denigrate the work of working designs because without them and without oh, that happening, course. you know, yeah. it, it was important and it was it was what there was and there were no there was no expectation back then, but uh, but it was something that that I think we needed to to move beyond and we certainly have. We've talked a lot on on Kane and Rince about Nintendo's excellent localizations in the in the last fifteen years or so, where they went from being quite cack handed with it to being very um, literate and uh, and sort of wry and um yeah sensitive to to the lo- the locale in which they were they were being re-released rather than just yeah being translated into an approximation of the original game in a very u.s in uh, you know u.s english style yeah um, and that's cool. and so yeah. and with working designs I'll, I'll do my like apology too uh <laughs> with working designs even though it was changed it was very good well written it was it was good english it was it was funny it was you know sharp which was not something that games had back then at all. So that's a very good um, point. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure we'd have the treehouse localizations without it. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Um, so, did you work? I see on your on your scant credits that uh, that are available. Um, you were uh, on some Shin Megami Tensei stuff. Uh, did you do any Persona work then uh, at that time? Oh, I'll, I'll name drop a few more Alice games. Um, <laughs> so I did editing on uh, Digital Devil Saga 1 and 2, Yeah, um, which are great, and people should look them up. Um, yeah. If you cool can't classics. play them, at least watch the cutscenes. <laughs> um, and then I, I did more lead work on Contact for the DS. Oh, yeah. Um, Steambot Chronicles slash mm-hmm. Bumpy Trot on the PS2. And then, um, obviously, Trauma Center Second Opinion. Mm. on the wii that was yes my final final release game at atlas i actually left um days after it was approved for the wii launch and then my final game i worked on was persona 3 i did um some of half the social links i think (laughs) um i helped translate or help localize the uh the any graphical text so the the words that pop up when you're in the all-out attack or signs on stores um and then some incidental stuff, but mainly the social links. Well, you've been hiding your light under a bushel, then, really, because Persona Three, <laughs> like to say that to say that you worked on Persona Three around these parts, um, not so much for me because I've yet to play any Persona games. But but for for some of the Kane and Rince guys, I'm sure you know it's a massive deal for them. So, mm-hmm. so that's very cool indeed. Have the Digital Devil Saga games come to PS2 Classics on PS4 yet? Is that likely? I think I heard they might have. But I can't confirm. Because I hope uh, so. Yeah, I know that Persona is now kind of a separate entity to SMT, but uh, but that's not to say that there aren't things in in the old Shin Megami Tensei series that aren't worth checking out for fans of you know story driven um, Japanese role playing games. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and they're all uh, very difficult. <laughs> yes, challenging is uh, something that you've kind of made a bit of a. A name throughout your career, by the sound of it, as being the guy who can do difficult games, <laughs> and it's it looks rather like this carried on. Was it your first job at Konami? Was Contra Four? Uh, one of yeah, yeah. So uh, another legendarily difficult game. I, I was really excited to talk to you about this one because um, it's a series I love, going all the way back to the original, which we covered on the podcast quite recently. Um, we didn't get as far as four, but we will in future, and hopefully we'll we'll have you on that show um, as somebody who worked on it. That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, I remember playing this at the time, uh, and I don't think 
it I can't remember if it got an official European release in the end, but obviously the machine was uh, it was all region free back then, so it wasn't. It, it did deal. not. No, it didn't. Um, I don't know if that was to do with lingering concerns over the name or just they didn't think it would hit over here. Do, any idea on that? Yes. Um, the um, the European marketing team, <clears throat> who, um, to be fair, they managed the uh, the marketing for Shattered Soldier on the PS2, um, okay, yeah. they didn't feel that Contra 4 felt enough like a Contra game. Really? Which Which I tend to disagree with. <laughs> I, I I disagree with that. Uh, we put Probotector in there for you guys, but <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a nice touch, but um, but yeah, Probotector, yeah, Probotector, bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we gave Fun. him a British accent. Come on, did you? Nice. <laughs> but yeah, um, I remember playing this, and I was now I uh, um, I guess you know I'm a bit of a hipster purist, um, annoying person in regard that when I see a Western developer has taken on a classic Japanese IP, I'm always a bit like, mm, are they going to get this? Are they going to do it right? Are they going to um, poop all over it? Uh, and sometimes it works out well from, from my point of view and sometimes it doesn't. And Contra 4, genuinely, I'm not just saying this, I thought was really, you know, like it it it, it was good for the legacy. And in fact, compared to some of those more recent predecessors, it felt more like Contra to me than some of some of the other stuff even though it was a it had been you know effectively given out to a you know yeah to an american developer so, so yeah how did, <laughs> how did it come about in the first place and that was um, that, that feeling was by design um yeah sure so i'll, I'll fast forward through my konami to get to yeah, answer your question it'll be great um so um I, at atlas um i've always you know i've always wanted to make games since mega man 2 so yeah. later on in atlas i was pitching hey let's let's do some development let's I can, let me write a design and we'll, we'll try it out. Right. And they said, no, they're a, a smaller company. They're not interested in doing that. Um, but, you know, in recent years, to their credit, they have. They've funded some quirky games, um, which is cool. But uh, so I saw this job opening at Konami for uh, associate producer. Mm. And I knew from talking to them that, that producers at Konami have some creative. You know, it's at some companies, producers are just budget guys at some companies are just getting food for the team um but at konami the producer is a sort of the creative spark of the project and so there might be a director designer that does the nitty-gritty stuff but a lot of the visionary parts are from the producer um a lot of that's in the japan side but that's the konami philosophy so yeah um i thought that would be good i could get my hands more dirty in the actual development so i went to konami um, and my first project, I was put on Winx Club, which is a licensed game based on an Italian, I think, cartoon about some fairies. Okay. And, uh, that was a shock. Um, <laughs> the, the producer that I was working under, um, was taking a lot of vacations when I started. I didn't see her much. And then she, um, actually went, uh, left and went to a different company after that. So I was feeling very uh, lost. And why did I come to Konami? This is a mess. Uh, Little did I know what Konami would become. But um, anyway, that's fast forwarding too far. Uh, (laughs) So um, the head of production said, don't worry, you know, we're going to have this meeting. You can pitch whatever game you want. We're going to take the pitches and and figure out new projects. So that's kind of what you want to do. And like, don't worry. Um, 
you know, hang out the week till that, make some pitches, we'll be fine. So I thought, cool, I'm going to pitch some games. Maybe I'll get to work on one of these, who knows. But at least I can do something creative and interesting. So I pitched a 3D Contra game for Wii. Right. A Which is the Western Contra you would have been afraid of. Um, <laughs> but, it you know, I thought... Metroid Prime for Contra. <laughs> it's true. I thought, it, you know, I thought people wouldn't want to play a 2D Contra. So it's not like I thought 3D yeah. was the future for Contra. Anyway, so I pitched that. I pitched a motion-based Silent Hill for a Wii, mm-hmm. and I pitched a new Rocket Knight. So, um, Contra perked up their ears. Um, another associate producer there named Simon Lai had pitched the new Super Mario Brothers of Contra at the same time. Right. And then the team went, oh, Rocket Knight, I kind of remember that guy. And then Silent Hill on Wii, that'll never work. So, the result was... They switched me and Simon. So Simon had been helping on Silent Hill. I was now helping on Silent Hill. He was now on Winx Club. And then we were working together on Contra 4, which right. was then just called Contra DS, and it was supposed to be like New Super Mario Brothers. Hmm. So in answer to your question, um, me and Simon sat down immediately. We played all the Contra games. Um, he hadn't played Contra 3 somehow. Um, neither of us had played the PS1 games Mm. Um, I had played Shattered Soldier but not Neo Contra so we just we went through the whole library um, and we noticed a pattern it started out Contra 1 and 2 had stages the stages were challenging they'd have lots of power ups um, lots of gameplay before the bosses and then starting with Contra 3 it became a short stage to the boss Mm. and then Shattered Soldier was practically boss 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 Mm-hmm. And and so we thought, well, let's try to get back to since this is the new Super Mario Brothers of Contra, let's try to get back to the original NES Contras where there's a big stage and then there's some cool bosses, there's some mid bosses, but you have plenty of time to sort of enjoy the environment and get new power ups and then get shot by enemies, yeah, and um, do that. So that was our mission statement from the mm-hmm. start was just get back to that feeling. And so mm-hmm. we contacted Way Forward and. They basically, WayForward's obviously very versed in um, classic games. So their basic question was, was this like the old Contra with the stages or the new Contra with just bosses? <laughs> and we said, oh, it's old Contra. So we were all kind of on the same page. Um, we were constantly brainstorming ideas. The the stage four missile, ride the missile upward and then back downward as it falls to earth. Yeah. That was part of our very initial meeting. <laughs> um that's very so, yeah. Contra Three, uh, you know. So so it's surprising that your your compatriot there hadn't played Contra Three. I guess he had it that by by then. Right? Yeah, by then. But yeah, he was. You've made I, him I don't know why. He had, had a Super yeah. Nintendo. He would played uh, Sunset Riders. I just he just skipped Goodness Contra me. Three somehow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so yeah, since because we were doing that, we thought we'd call it Contra Four. Right. Um, and it worked, and no one said no. <laughs> it just got called Contra Four. Yeah, I, I guess when when that happened, I was thinking uh, when when I, you know, I guess I guess I read the announcement or something. I, I assumed that that meant that Konami were loving it, like they were they were saying this is absolutely you know like the whoever ultimately decides these things was saying right. Well, this is totally the next game in the the, con- the real Contra series, so we'll call it four rather than I don't know Dangerous Soldiers or whatever DS thing that they would have. <laughs> given it yep 
but yet they didn't like it enough, or Europe didn't like it enough to release it in Europe. Um, so yeah. yeah now you know, Japan liked really it, which is it. is mm. great. I was very pleased. Japan Japan actually did some special uh, publicity for it. They sent yeah scantily clad quote contra girls around to all, right, yeah. <laughs> all the all the magazines there to play it. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a thrill to loving Japanese games and then working on this Japanese game and then actually getting Konami of Japan to sort of bless it. I was like, oh my gosh. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is very cool. And yeah, it's a shame uh, most people over here would never have played it. Um, where I'm speaking, that is in the UK. Obviously, we have listeners uh, all around the world, including plenty in the US. But um, yeah, Contra 4, a bit of a, a hidden gem from a European point of view. And um, yeah, obviously, you can still probably buy it on eBay and import it. And uh uh, it's worth checking out for when we cover it in the show in the future when Tom joins us to tell us all about it in fine <laughs> detail. Um, so, yeah, good job with that one. Um, now, uh, the next uh, title that uh, you're credited for that was released, I think, is Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Oof. So there's – okay, let's talk about Silent Hill. Yes, please. Yeah. So – Well, let, let's do Shattered Memories first. <laughs> no, go on. Okay. <laughs> say whatever you want to say. I don't know. That, I'll, I'll skip the early ones fast um, since they've already been covered on Kane and Rince. Sure. People know what they're about. But um, So I was on Silent Hill at the same time as Contra, um, assisting another producer. Um, my very first job, I, I read through Homecoming's design stuff, and I thought, Pyramid Head should not be here. This is terrible. Mm. Let's get Pyramid Head out at any cost. <laughs> yeah. So my first meeting was um, not unlike a ranty email I would get sent from a fan, okay. but just ripping into the dev, like you can't have pyramid head. It doesn't make any sense. He's, you, he's part of Silent Hill too. I was going to say, you're a big fan of Silent Hill too, presumably coming. Oh into yes. So yeah, I've, right. I played all of them on release. Um, yeah. and two obviously was very important and sort of changed my ideas about what a game narrative could do and, and, and be look like. So that was very close to my heart. And here was pyramid head being used just because, and uh, I was I was very upset, <laughs> and yep. and then I got shot down. Um, the dev said, you know, this is our Silent Hill, and the, my producer said, it's their Silent Hill. So too marketable uh, as well. <laughs> right. So I was I was very sad. I did help. Um, I sent some notes about Origins back to Climax. Um, yeah. This was already in the UK at the time, so I never saw the US developed origins at all all right yes yeah we took that out on the show didn't we it was yeah and then um so shortly after contra came out i was locked out of the project from by the producer and uh he stopped communicating with other people so i got yelled at from people trying to get updates on the project that needed updates mm. on the project and i couldn't provide them and so then he uh was made to leave and homecoming was about ready to come out and it was dumped in my lap and i had to finish it so mm. I finished Homecoming as an associate producer. Um, Origins was out by then. And then there was no governing producer on Silent Hill. So Climax, um, over the last, I don't know, six months maybe, had been working with this producer on a port of Silent Hill 1, which Climax didn't want to do a port. They just did Origins, which is the prequel. And they said ports are boring. Let's not do that. And so um, with him, they had been coming up with... um, I guess with him armed with my original pitch for yeah. <laughs> for Silent Hill Wii, yeah. uh, they'd come up with this reimagining idea where it's it follows the path of Silent Hill 1 and it has the characters from Silent Hill 1, 
but it's not Silent Hill 1. Mm. And uh, once he was gone, no one was talking to Climax. So I think um, they wisely took that time to sort of repitch it to their vision of the idea. And then, um, I don't know, a month or two later, when someone at Konami was like, hey, what are we paying you to do? We haven't heard from you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Through no fault of Climax, I should say. Um, they sent their pitch. Here's here's what we want to do with this game. And so I read the pitch and I went into my boss's office and I said, I have to produce this. It doesn't have a producer. Let me be the producer on this game. And they said, OK, whatever. It's just some dumb wee Silent Hill, right? <laughs> so <laughs> just like trauma center. Uh, so um, they took more time. They wouldn't show me the game, um, but I trusted them. You know, I, I worked with them on Origins um, until they made their vertical slice which was the opening of, of Shattered Memories through the first uh, chase sequence, which was great. Normally, you know, you make a vertical slice to show it off internally, and people can sort of picture what the game is. It's a, I guess for people who don't know, a vertical slice is, think of the game like a cake. And so if it has enough to slice a piece off, it's the whole cake. And so you make this tiny slice of the game that's polished and looks finished, and you can show it off and say, this is what the final game will look like. Because if you don't do that throughout development, the game will look like Legos on the floor mm. until the very last second when it's all put together. Yeah. So Climax did a great job with this. Um, this was also our E3 demo, our Leipzig demo. Um, it was a very well done opening, so we could just keep reusing it. And people could be impressed by it. So I was impressed by it, and uh, I worked with them and pretty much did my best to make sure their vision survived all the input from Konami and marketing and, you know, okay, what if, what if you could play darts here instead of continuing on with the game? And I had to say, no, 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 we're not doing that. <laughs> this isn't GTA. It's a, it's an atmospheric game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a really great project too. Um, where I'm super proud of that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, the aspect that we all agreed that we were the fondest of was the, the, the run through of the, the psychoanalysis, uh, that really, um, pays off in quite spectacular style at the end. I think that, that you, you must've been proud of that particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely a, this is going to be weird and no one's going to understand it at, at Konami. So I need to make sure, I mean, I, I demoed that game internally probably 20 times. And, you know, I had a system where I could, you would go to that first, that survey at the beginning where he asks you, you know, have you ever cheated on someone? Uh, Yada, yada, yada. And I would pick someone in the the crowd and I'd say, Mm. we're going to analyze you today. And we get to that final question about like role play during sex or whatever. (laughs) You have to be honest. So people really liked it. I think that really helped sell it. At least, you know, if you have a good time at the at the boring meeting where someone's playing a game in front of you for a half hour, you're more likely to let them keep going with it. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, and have you played the game Until Dawn? Uh, I have not. Okay, because somebody at Supermassive Games has definitely played Silent Hill Shattered Memories. It's, I'll have to check got, it out. Yeah, it's got, <laughs> it's got, some, uh, it's got a, a very similar thread running through it. Uh, done in its own way, I should say, and, and, a, and an experience that's worth having uh, i would say it's it's more um it's more classic cabin in the woods um, mm-hmm. kind of horror but uh, but yeah there there are scenes where it goes back to a uh, a guy uh, played by uh, oh god famous scandinavian actor 
uh, a very creepy, anyway, playing a very creepy um, psychoanalyst and has some very <laughs> similar kind of, uh, yeah, it, it asks you to answer questions and comes up with, um, puts things in the game that based on your answers and things like that. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, Kane and Rince issue 175, listeners. If you haven't heard that one before, recommend checking it out. Definitely an interesting game. Um, I guess it's kind of a, a... It's odd in that the Wii was a console which sold an enormous amount of units, but yet a lot of perhaps its most interesting kind of core gamer games got ignored because the Wii kind of have a, had a bad rep for being you know, the machine on which a load of casual or shovelware or both was put. And I think that meant that a lot of its really worthwhile titles, such as Shattered Memories, kind of got overlooked in favour of, you know, whatever kind of mediocre third-person cover-based shooter was out on the 360 that week. Yeah, it also it also did a disservice, you know, some midway through development, mm. I guess we'll call it Konami, the monolithic entity, um, mm. decided we should port it to PS two and oh yeah of course yeah it did come psp yeah now it was always supposed to be a wii game obviously it was yeah. very designed around motion control yeah and so i think it's hard when when you're like here's this wii game and it, it's supposed to be good uh but there's a ps2 version and i own a ps2 and then they buy the mm. ps2 version and then they go eh, it was okay mm. all those motion puzzles were dumb it's like well <laughs> they weren't puzzles they were interactions that are cool if you're holding a wii remote if you're holding a ps2 controller they're less cool and so I think a lot of people played those versions instead just because it was easier yeah. than buying a new console or, or digging your Wii out of the closet. And that was incredibly late for a PS2 release, right? Oh, incredibly late, yeah. Yeah. So next on the credits list that I'm looking at, and uh, I must confess I only played the demo of this, uh, Rocket Knight, which was a reboot kind of um, for XBLA. And Konami had done this. Uh, a bit they'd already they did a vandal hearts game around this time which i think maybe you had something to do with as well okay so yeah, okay so really <laughs> really quick i'm going to name drop uh castlevania uh order of ecclesia because I, I localized that oh wow okay um, yeah that's that I like. one missing from my personal castlevania uh, uh cv which i need to rectify yeah it's it's pretty hard i'm gonna say <clears throat> it's, it's the dark souls of castlevania huh? nice um, wow, that's that's like a that's a fantastic pitch to our listeners right there. <laughs> if you loved Symphony of the Night and you love Dark Souls, seek out a copy of Castlevania: Order of Ecclesia if you can find one that isn't like eight hundred dollars. <laughs> and you can't. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so Rocket Knight obviously um, was close to my heart because I pitched it at that early meeting. Yeah. It was actually one of the games where when I was at with Team Excalibur, my company at the beginning of the story. Yes. Um, when we were thinking of franchises we could revive, that was why, I mean, we pitched, we pitched a shining force, which I worked on at Atlas. We pitched a river city ransom, which I worked on at Atlas. We pitched rocket Knight, and we pitched Gradius, which never happened. Um, no. we got so, Gradius rebirth on Wii though. Thanks to M2. True. Thanks M2. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so rocket Knight, I pitched at that first meeting. It got ignored. Um, there was another meeting later on which was comp like like worldwide Konami. It was like, pitch pitch some games, and we want to have the company take part in this process. And so I pitched Rocket Knight again, and it got some award. Um, who knows what? There were several you know, several games that got, got um, special mention, and that was one of them. 
Okay. So I, I kept thinking like, okay, the company is interested in this. I'm going to keep pitching it because I got to, I got to leverage that. This has to happen. So, uh, I, I pitched it again and the head of Konami US was um, Katawe-san, and he, he's the producer on Contra 3, the producer on Axelay, and um, he, he was somewhere in the process for the original Rocket Knight. So he, yeah, the character's kind of close to his heart. He, he gave Sparks the story did. how Sparkster mm-hmm. used to be their mascot and, and whatever mm-hmm. happened to that, and maybe we should do something new with Sparkster. So I got lucky, and I had my in. Um we pitched it to a bunch of different developers, um, including way forward, but they, that didn't happen. Mm. Mm. And so we ended up on climax, um, cause we were working with them on shattered memories. Yes. And so, uh, it was a different team at climax. Um, obviously cause they were happening at the same time. And, uh, yeah, we, we played a bunch of platformers. I pointed out, you know, I, I basically said, um, in ducktales, for the NES, mm. now available on um, whatever the Disney yeah. Afternoon is called. Yeah, yeah. Um, I said he Scrooge has this pogo jump. It's an attack, and it's it's a way to skip obstacles. Yeah, you don't have to use it all the time, but you are constantly pogo bouncing the entire game. Even when you don't have to, you're just bouncing around. It's fun. He does. Yeah. So Sparkster's Rocket Pack has to feel like that. That was mm. my big vision statement. Okay. So. Um, we made the XBLA PS, PSN, PSN yeah. Rocket Knight, oh, and Steam. And uh, I really like it. A lot okay. of people didn't play it. <laughs> but uh, no. it was it's a sequel to uh, the other three, other two. I don't remember if one of them was out of Canada or not. There's anyway. sort of three because there's two, because the, the Sparkster game on the Mega Drive and the SNES were different games as Konami did back then. Right, right. And Rocket Knight One was uh, Mega Drive only, um, and it was a game I had a lot of affection for. And I and I guess I kind of took against this project before I knew you, before I knew what you were, <laughs> and all that. I I had a, this had the look about it to me of one of those games where a US developer didn't understand what was you know. And this that's completely my prejudice. I only played the demo, um, and I don't. The reviews weren't massively kind, were they? No, they weren't. They weren't kind, unfortunately. No. Um, I was actually surprised how much uh, UK. I no one here knows about Sparkster. Oh, <laughs> I remember okay. Sparkster. Yeah. Um, but then once I was working on it and I did some research, there's this mass. I guess it was in Sonic the Comic, in the UK. He probably was. Yeah. And so everyone in the UK knows Sparkster. <laughs> oh, I just remember. I mean, I was in my when when Rocket Knight Adventures came out. I was in my early twenties, and it was mm-hmm. in the it was the era when I started to have a lot of disposable income. And I was getting properly hardcore into games, just buying, you know, everything I could. Um, and yeah, Rocket Knight Adventures was uh, was yeah, I was. Uh, it was a technical tour de force. I think some of the guys went. Uh, was it some of the Treasure guys who also worked on Contra Three? Um, possibly had something to do with, with the coding. Anyway, it was it was very cool looking. Yeah, it was one of those technical. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what Konami did on the Genesis. Was yeah, Mega Drive totally. <laughs> was just yeah. like here. Can you believe we pulled this off? And yeah, it always seemed absolutely. like an arm race with them and Treasure, um, Treasure being ex Konami. You know, it seemed like they were kind of competing about like, look at this crazy thing we did. Yeah. Look how much stuff is on screen. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so should I should I reappraise Rocket Knight your your uh, your version? 
Should I'll, I give I'll, it another look? I'll say this, just because so many people haven't played it. You know, when it came out, the reviews on Steam and whatever were... I mean, I don't think they're unkind. They're just kind of... Middling. Eh, you know. Yeah. Um, I loved this game, and this didn't match my expectations, so eh. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the time, $15 was so much for a digital game that there was a lot That's of complaint right. about the price. That's right. I remember now. Yeah, twelve was it twelve hundred Microsoft points or yeah. possibly more when, yeah. when that was still a thing and people used to expect. Yeah, I'm so. I mean, I'm so glad that whole nonsense ended. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and all, yeah, and the, the the average price for a downloadable game has now gone up. Probably it's probably all your fault. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so so. But when it came out, um, one of our a, a Konami Japan staffer that worked out of our office happened to be in Japan, and I had won him over to the game to keep it from getting cancelled. Um, and so he was kind of watching out for it too. And so when he was in Japan, all the Konami Japan guys were playing it. Like all the old school, um, 16 bit guys were like, awesome. this game is super fun. And then, um, uh, Nobuya Nakazato, the, the producer of rock of the original rocket Knight, And also many of the Contra games, um, sent me an email that said he loved the game and we were able to use modern technology to accomplish what they could not do in the past. And so he he was very happy with it. So well, I didn't get uh, a note like that for Contra Four. <laughs> so that's an endorsement. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very proud of that. I I like the game. Uh, maybe people should check it out. Mm. I don't know if it goes on Steam sale. Feel free to buy it on sale. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get any of the money anyway. But <laughs> is it backwards compatible on the Xbox One? I wonder. Mm, I wonder. Um, yeah, and I think the other thing that had put me off in advance was um, I did play the uh, the Vandal Hearts update. And oh, right, Vandal Hearts. Yeah, so I got to admit, I w- I was fairly appalled by that. Um, I was I was I loved the original Vandal Hearts, and I did not like particularly the way that the XBLA version looked. Um, it. It, it it hurt me a little, so so I, I'm I'm sorry, but yeah, I that... so around the rock at night time, <laughs> yeah, they did. Um, hey, what are some classic Konami games that we should revive? Contra, yeah. Contra worked out. Um, we're apparently not not doing new Contras for some reason, but um, mm. let's uh let's figure out other games. So they did Rocket. They've kind of made Rocket Night part of that, and then uh, Vandal Hearts and Russian Attack expatriate yes yeah so um expatriate was developed by um vatra who did silent hill downpour mm. um vandal hearts was directed by or directed developed by hijinks who did silent hill hd collection and then rock and i was developed by climax so um i didn't have much to do with them other than being like the guy that knew all the old games so I could talk about them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I think this made it into the final Vandal Hearts. I haven't played the final one, but I did make the suggestion of it's always frustrating in tactical games when I have all my guys lined up in a row. Mm. There's one target in front of us, and so half my party has to waste their turn because they can't reach the guy. So there's a way to be a, oh, yeah, be a way to swap two, two characters on adjacent tiles so oh. that my party can move for free and sort of cycle... Th- their attacks i think it was in at some point i don't know if it is in the final but that was my only involvement okay. i too love those the original vandal hearts <laughs> yeah and those kind of games have had a bit of a resurgence well obviously disguy came before this but um but obviously the we had the XCOM reboot around this time and 
Um, I'm thinking of the uh, the double fine one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which brings us back to Silent Hill, I believe. Yes. Um, so um, now I, I've seen uh, I've seen things on the internet uh, that would have <laughs> that would have one believe that uh, <laughs> that Tom Hewlett was uh, single-handedly responsible for everything that went wrong with, uh, in the view of these people, I should say, uh, everything that went (laughs) wrong with Silent Hill and possibly Japanese games and Konami um, in general. And I think think that's partly because you ended up, was your name, you know, on um, Homecoming um, as it landed in your lap at the last minute. Um, And I've seen some really facile kind of, you know, typical... Uh, uh, articles, you know, venomous. Uh, seen some YouTube videos which basically have you responsible for every aspect of the Silent Hill HD collection and all that went wrong with that. Um, and I, w- I wanted to know, as well as you, you know, giving you the chance to kind of set the record straight, but also you seem to really have taken all this in your stride is it just t- time's gone by or did this was this really as as much unpleasantness as as i suspect that it might have been at the time this tom guy sounds awful <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah you you would think right but um, yeah you killed silent hill man come on let's hear um, it why <laughs> it, it's it was very hard um i still get angry emails about it yeah um which I mean, we'll get there, but I haven't worked at Konami in four years, everybody, four years. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was very hard because at, at the time, especially with these later ones, um, you may have guessed that internal Konami things were not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one, I was always seen as like this fanboy guy, like why does Tom so care so much about this canon and like these fans and like, what's his deal? Mm. And then Externally, their fans are seeing me like, oh, Tom is this idiot in a suit and he lucked into this position and he doesn't know games and he hates me and he wants to ruin Silent Hill. So it was very frustrating. I had nowhere to like someone believes in me. right? Um, Mm. But uh, so and and again, like, you know, you make these games for years. You're not seeing fans aren't reacting to what you're currently doing. Right. So they're they're reacting to the last thing. And Mm. so with Homecoming, there's obviously some decisions I would have made differently if I were in control. Um, Origins, um, Climax UK did a great job, but they had no time to do it and they had to reuse certain aspects of the scrapped version. So it's just like, okay, guys, round one, you weren't happy with, you're going to love round two, Shattered Memories. And then, you know, there are people that love Shattered Memories and that's great. I agree. Mm -hmm. But there's people that either, I think their true opinions are probably just, it's okay, but because they have these biases, that's just like, this is trash and... Yeah, this isn't the port of Silent Hill one. They don't know Silent Hill one at all. Uh, so now we're like, okay, now we're making downpour, and we're gonna we're gonna use what we think was great with with Shattered Memories, and then we're gonna use what should have happened with Homecoming, but we're not gonna make it an action game. No one wants an action game. So, of hmm. course, that whole development we heard they're they're just turning it into an action game with Pyramid Head in it. And that's, they suck. But we you know we tried very hard with with downpour. Um, we were working with a new developer. Uh, Vatra in the Czech Republic who gave it a really cool unique vibe just you know being from such a different part of the world Mm. and uh, you know we had different bosses in our Konami management who we had to reconvince of all these you know this is what Silent Hill is 
Um, I had a 30 minute argument about whether or not Silent Hill canonically was a set town in a set place with a consistent map. Yeah. I said it was. My boss said it wasn't <laughs> based on I'm not sure what. Um, but he wanted to set it in Alaska for some reason. Um, right. So there's there's lots of things like that where, you know, clearly I represented what was correct about the series, what the fans would want me to do. Mm. And I won. And then there's uh, other areas where, you know, there were whatever concerns about let's do this thing. And I represented what I thought was the best interest of the brand and was turned down. And so then it went the other way. Um, uh, on this in particular, I was, again, just the associate producer. So um, Devin Chatsky was the producer. I'm not saying that to blame him for any of it either. Um, he was great. Yeah, he came in. Um, I think he'd worked on The Suffering. Don't quote me on that. He'd worked on some other survival horror game. So he had um, ideas about survival horror, but he was super um, ready to say, okay, this is Silent Hill. Tom says it's about this. He played the games. Um, so I'm not blaming him for anything. He's not the monolithic Konami problem. Um, oh, right. Don't attack him. Uh, of course. But, you know, just to show there was someone above me too. And then we have a developer and they're bringing their talent to it. And you can't, if you're trying to make a good game, you can't tell the developer, shut down your creativity, do everything I say. Because you're not going to get a good game. They're going to... Mm do it like it's a factory and they're going to hate you and you're going to get a crappy game. So it's all collaborative and it's all that. And then you still have Konami, the entity saying, here's what we want. Here's what we think is best. Here's what the market says. Here's what resident evil is doing. Um, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. So it's kind of nice when I play Zelda breath of the wild and they have breakable weapons <laughs> and I can go, this is what oh, the yeah. system was. This is what it was supposed to be like. I knew I recognized that feeling from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> this, this does work. I knew it. Um, so, yeah. Not everyone likes that, of course, Tom, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite game now. Breath of the Wild is great. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, so so that's downpour. Um, mm. We did, you know, we did the best we could. Yes. Yeah. You know, various limitations and various uh, advantages. And that's what it was. Um, unfortunately, there were some technical issues as well mm -hmm. uh, which i think dampered a lot of people's experience and yeah. so hopefully uh with the xbox scorpio thing maybe it's playable there maybe it fixes the problems i don't know we'll find out that's interesting yeah so next came the collection yes um, which which uh, you told me and uh, as, as i was preparing to to interview you that even on imdb it it's got a misleading credit because it, it has you <laughs> down as director of silent hill 2 hd and silent hill 3 hd um but it was actually that you were a, a, a voice you were the director of the voice the new voice performances is that right yes yeah so with <laughs> hd collection so those were all the rage back then if everyone thinks yes. back yeah to, well they're still going quite you know, well 2011 uh, uh, yeah <laughs> yeah we're on a new gen now and they're still doing them uh yeah um so um i wanted this collection and i wanted it to be good oh yeah um yeah, of course. I, I think I it made sense. You did too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we had uh, the, the Ueda collection with Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. Mm. I think Metal Gear was, I mean, Metal Gear wasn't out at the time this was starting. So we knew Metal Gear was coming. Yeah. And, and Silent Hill was owned by Konami US. So I said, hey, we should do this too. Crown Jewels um, from the PS2 era. So it was your idea. 
No, uh, no, no, no. Uh, okay. My boss said we're going to do it, and I went, yeah, it makes sense. Okay, right? all right. Important distinction. <laughs> I, pr- I probably did the, the quick um, pitch document we send to Sony for you know, project approval or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and I did some research on what, which ones were out and how, how well they sold and which ones were coming out. Um, yeah. so they did it. And then, um, there was an issue with, okay. <laughs> there wasn't an issue with the voice recording rights, mm. but Konami is a very conservative, careful company. And so they sent out a notification to, to all the voice actors and they worded it in an ambiguous way. So some of the actors questioned if they should get more money for the reuse of their voices. Right. Um, they shouldn't, that's not how contracts are made. So mm. with voices in games, um, I know it's different for cartoons and movies, but that, you know, games are, we own, we own the files that are your voice. Mm. Yeah. So my boss then came to me and said, we can't use the old voices. We're going to change all the voices. <laughs> and I went, you don't want to do that. And they said, well, we have to. So I said, if you are going to redo the voices, which is a terrible idea, um, I want to be in charge of that so I can make them good. So we will have good voices and people will still be mad, but they will be good. You weren't wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't wrong. Um, I was rarely wrong about what fans would be mad about, but I was then told to stop worrying about fans. Um, yeah, easy for them to say, right? So I got so Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, um, who is a yep. voice actress and director, um, and sings all these Silent Hill vocals. Yes. Um, I thought let's get her to direct. A, she directed part of Shattered Memories, and B, she sings on. She's a silent. She's in the Silent Hill family, right? The yeah. The official canonical from Japan Silent Hill family. Absolutely. Yes. So and I know she and I know she cares about the brand. Like she's not just. It's not just work. Yeah. She lo- she loves being part of it. She gets it. So she'll be the director. Um, I had some a few actors in mind um, specifically for Heather, um, and then Mary <clears throat> knew who would fit the other characters, and um, I suggested she do uh, Maria because she sounds like Maria mm. um, to me. So to the point where when I heard when I was at E three for Silent Hill. Uh, as a fan at E3 watching the Silent Hill 3 trailer, which was the first time she had vocals, um, I thought, is that supposed to be Maria singing? Because it sounds like Maria to me. So um, so we did that. I know people like the original Mary voice. Mm-hmm. I would say the perfect voice is original Mary and new Maria, but um, they're the same voice. So you got to pick one. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so I, I helped supervise that. Mary supervised it. Um we re-recorded all the dialogue, all this stuff. And then after that, a couple months, I guess ah, I'm skipping around. Sorry. It became clear right. that the developer did not have the original source code to work with because Konami okay. had, lo- had lost access to the original source code. So you genuinely didn't know this at the start of the project. You see, I've seen uh, I've seen a, a really unkind but idiotic uh, YouTube sketch <laughs> from some nobody right. uh, who's basically playing as I'm Tom Hewlett. I'm going into the Konami building and I'm looking for the Silent Hill source code. And, <laughs> oh, I've got this beta code and I'm just going to take this because I'm such an idiot. Ha ha ha. No, no. Um, and obviously that isn't what happened. But I, I will say, um, not having source code is a a common problem with Japanese developed games for a variety of reasons so i'm not trying to implicate anybody this has been a constant problem i've known about my entire career 
It's just a thing that happens there for some reason. Yeah, it's like um, over here we have the BBC throwing away some of its greatest comedy programmes and dramas from the <laughs> 50s and 60s. Um, Japanese don't seem to have quite the same um, concept that games like, say, Bubble Bobble, which Taito threw away, right. uh, actually might be like really important to, <laughs> to them and some people at some stage in the future. Right. So I, I guess I'll say cryptically, if there's ever a... If, if there's ever been a port of a game in Japan and you thought that would do well here, why isn't it out here? Mm. It's probably because the Japanese port was done by emulating off the original ROM. Yeah. So they can't hack into it to change the text to be English. So it's just mm-hmm. not doable. Anyway, yeah. so Silent Hill, we became clear that wasn't the final source code. Um, there were bugs in it we'd never seen before. There was a couple things missing or unfinished. So then it became a longer project. So yeah, I thought I was done. I did my I did my voice work. We're good. And then we were, me and Devin were in the Czech Republic working on Downpour, and we were reading you know opinions and watching videos. Mm. And um, we were also talking with uh, Jeremy Blaustein, who did um, he localized Snatcher, but we were using his new company to um, localize Book of Memories into all the other languages. Mm. So we were talking with him also. And we all kind of came to the conclusion, like, hey, we should we should get we should make this original voice thing work for uh, for for HD collection. People want it. We all we all knew they'd want it. It's yeah. dumb. It's not there. It's kind of a technicality. It's not there. Um, so Blaustein, who worked with all of these, I guess he also worked on Silent Hill too. So I should say that um, mm-hmm. he was helping supervise the English. The, the voices were only recorded in English, so he was part of the yeah. team and he supervised yeah. it. Right. So he he had met all these people. He'd worked with all these people. So he called them all up. Some of them lived in Japan still. I imagine he probably met with them. But he, you know, he contacted all these people. He explained right. the situation, which the letter Konami had sent had not um, explained. You know, we if you feel wronged by Konami in the past, these are not the same people. <laughs> these are people with this job, and they just want to do it right by fans. And we know you want to do it right by fans. And let's just make it happen. So um, Silent Hill 2, everyone signed off. Um, Silent Hill 2 has original voice mode. Good job. There were issues with Silent Hill 3 beyond the fact that the Heather actress could not be found. That's a separate. I know yeah. fans think that's why. That's not why. That didn't help, okay. but that's not why. Um, yeah. If if everything else had worked out, I probably would have advocated just doing it without contacting her, and then maybe we'll contact her and apologize. But if it was that close, I would have just pushed it, but it was not that close. No, Unfortunately, no. there's not original voice mode for Silent Hill 3. Unfortunately, that's the one with crippling bugs in the voice in the in the cutscenes, which mm-hmm. ruin a couple scenes. Yeah. Um, which so near the end of that game, uh, so so downpour is finished. Um, it's not out yet, but it's finished. HD collection is winding down. Uh, I'm about to take time off because my wife is having surgery, and so I think I'm going to play HD collection one time through and make any notes of serious bugs that they need to fix because it's almost done. And like I know it's I know it's not ready. Yeah. So as I'm not, this is not part of my job. I'm just doing it. I know Devin will appreciate it. He's, you know, he's the producer running it. So let's do this. So I made a note. I, I'm going to say 75 bugs. It's, it's around there somewhere. I don't remember the, the exact amount. Around 75 bugs. Yeah. I leave. Um, it finishes. Uh, I'm back for a month or two. My wife has another surgery, so I'm out again when it comes out. So I check online. And Hill's out. Cool. Um, people are not happy about the HD collection. No. Uh, so I, I, I 
write an email again. I'm on my still on my last week off for my wife's surgery leave. Um, I write an email to my bosses saying what's happening. Are we going to do anything? Can we do anything? We need to patch it. Like this is sounds bad. Mm. And so they say, come pick up your copy, um, from work and then play through it again on your personal time and make a list of all the, the, the important, the things we would need to fix. Like, okay, there's little bugs. We're not going to fix them, but like the major bugs that, that yeah. impact the quality and are, and are pissing people off. Yeah. So I bring it home. My wife says, you know, okay, it's fine. Um, <laughs> she, she loves Silent Hill by the she, she hasn't, she hasn't actually played through these two. So she's, you know, she's on the couch watching them for the first time. Okay. That's uh, um, convalescence material. Yeah. So I played through it. Obviously I'd seen online, like the fog on the lake is crap, but I played through and I get, I get through Silent Hill two, And I look at my list and I think this list looks awfully familiar. Yeah. Um, so I finish it. I go back to work. I check the list I'd made. They're the mm. same list. Mm. So the bugs have not been fixed. For I don't know why. Again, I was not day-to-day on the project. They just weren't addressed. So um, Tom Hewlett, the guy you're mad at, uh, <laughs> knew about the issues. He didn't want the game to have them either. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he's sad too. Um, so we patched. I think only one version got patched. Or, or they both got patched would... and then one got patched twice? Something. Yeah, I think that's it. Because the... Uh, on the Xbox 360, you can have one patch for free, and mm. then they start to charge. And I think Konami wasn't willing to uh, that makes sense. fund the uh, extra patches. But the PS3 version ended up with two significant, so one one patch the same as the 360 patch, and then a further patch which actually brought it into um, a state in which some people who bought it were less unhappy about it, shall we say. <laughs> Yeah, but you know the the climactic scenes of Silent Hill Three are still yeah. all unsynced, and that's the only dialogue option, and that's yeah. super disappointing. And unfortunately, yeah. it makes it difficult for me to play the games because um, I either have to choose between um, the original mode, uh, which, which with some bugs, or I could play the originals. But some voice actors who said unkind things about me that I can't yes. unread. Or the new version with the voice acting I like, but huge crippling bugs, so it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love those games, I really do, and it, it's it's I'm doubly sad by the HD collection because of all that. Totally, and it, and yeah, it's I mean it's a shame that after all that, that probably the best way to play those games is still if you can find them the PC versions cranked <laughs> up to uh, to right. high resolutions and maybe with mods and stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah, and of course, you know, un- you understand because this is the thing that I think a lot of uh, you know, internet commenters and and people forget is that you, while you worked on these games, you're a consumer too, right? And and you're affectionate about you know not only this IP but others, and so you've got kind of two, you've got two sets of people that, who are unhappy, and there's a massive overlap as well in in the venn diagram you've got people who love silent hill 2 and or silent hill 3 and don't want to see it badly treated and then you've got people who simply are buyers of video games who have spent whatever they spent on this game and they feel that they've been ripped off with a an incomplete inferior buggy product so um someone's going to feel the brunt of that and and it seems that your 
your name was the most readily associated with <laughs> this, and maybe that was partly because of the um, the fact that people had already been unhappy about uh, homecoming and downpour as well, and so yeah, um, I don't know. It, it I. I as somebody who has a very, you know, minor, minuscule internet presence and has only been on the receiving end of a little bit of unpleasantness from time to time, <laughs> um, I don't, you know, like part of me thinks that, you know, you would get to a point where, you know, water off a duck's back and all that kind of thing. But I imagine, especially it sounds like you, you know, you were um, you were going above and beyond the call of duty and you were having a, a you know, a challenging time in your home life as well. It must have been no fun whatsoever, I can imagine. Not a lot of fun, no. No, okay. Um, and do you, was it was it all that um, stuff with Silent Hill that led you to move away from Konami? Was it the direction that Konami was taking as a whole? Was it a bit of everything? Did Way Forward at this point, who you'd obviously already done business with and worked with, just seem like a more fun place to be right now? <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, I, lo- I loved working on Contra 4. Way Forward is full of great people. Um, I, I kept playing Way Forward's games. They were great. Um, mm. You know, Boy Against Blob, Double Dragon Neon, uh, even stuff that people generally don't like, like Blood Rain, uh, I love that game too. Um, yeah. But so I did Book of Memories with Konami, Silent Hill, um, and we got way forward to develop it, primarily because I'd worked with them. I knew they were good people. Um, they'd done a game called Lit on WiiWare. Yes. Um, um, there's a new version of Lit on uh, Steam and phones, which I did level design for. So if you haven't checked yeah. it out, check it out. So I knew they could do atmospheric stuff. Um, and Konami was having trouble finding developers for this, and I just didn't want it to go to a weird developer. It was already, again, this, this is Book of Memories, so uh, it was already a strange project. Um, one week my boss said, hey, you can produce another Silent Hill. It's for this Vita thing. Um, you can do whatever you want. And I made a really cool pitch about how to do Silent Hill on this touchscreen. Mm. And then a week later, his boss said, uh, it should be a dungeon crawler. So then it was a dungeon crawler because that was the big boss. Um, yeah, and then was, yeah, odd. <laughs> way forward and I were, were saddled with this. How do you, how do you make a silent hill dungeon crawler? <laughs> um, and then we did the best that we could with that task. You set it in a sewer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's book of memories. Um, but I was working with way forward there. So we were talking a lot. And mm. then after that, um, Konami decided to make Facebook games. And as we know now, Facebook games are the future and everyone plays them all the time and they make lots of money. Um, <laughs> and they say Americans don't get irony. Right? <laughs> uh, so um, they devoted, they made several divisions of Facebook developers. Um, one of them was they took our American production division and converted it to a Facebook developer. So I got the title of designer, which was cool because I wanted to be a designer, mm. but we were, couldn't settle on which Facebook games to make. And then I was told to make a casino Facebook game, um, which was again, a, an unfilled niche in the market. Um, it was very sad. And then way forward, um, had an opening for a director. And so I jumped on that really fast. <laughs> uh, and that's that. I knew they were a good company. I liked the people there. Um, I knew I obviously I'm a classic gamer and they make classic style games. So I knew that was a good fit. 
and um, they'd worked with me before, and it was kind of nice to know that they thought I'd be worth working with <laughs> as one of their employees. That's a nice compliment. And uh, yeah, so I've been there for the last four years. And uh, perhaps one of the things that I was less familiar with about WayForward, I associate them with Shantae, which is obviously one of their, that was an early Game Boy uh, colour hit for them Yep. Um, after they'd already been around a, a few years. Um, and I associate them with things like Mighty Switch Force and Aliens Infestation and, and things like this. But um, but they also do a lot of stuff that perhaps uh, the likes of me as a mid-40s man um, would be less familiar with because I don't have kids. Partly. Um, there's a lot of uh, cartoon tie-ins and those are things you've been working closely on um, there or you certainly did in... Uh, 2013, 14, with your Adventure Time games, and also there are, there's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, yep. and something else as well and along those lines. Goosebumps, uh, goosebumps. yeah. Yep. Goosebumps, yeah. Um, so are those fun to fun projects to work on. Obviously, a, quite a contrast to Silent Hill in many ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I like them. Um, yeah, there's kind of two sides to the way forward. There's the original yeah. IP, Shantae, Mighty Switch Force, uh, lit style stuff. Mm. Um, and then there's the the work for hire stuff. So unfortunately, that means WayForward gets uh, uh, missed a lot when people are trying to think of indie developers because we are an indie developer. We're not owned by a publisher. Yes. Um, you know, we do plenty of independent games, but they think of the license side and they kind of forget, <laughs> which is too bad. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, so I like working with the license stuff. Obviously, it's similar to work, what I did at Konami where it's like, oh, here's Silent Hill, a brand I already know. Um, here's, uh, Rocket Knight, a brand I already know. Um, it's like that, but it's often with brands I'm not familiar with sometimes. So like I knew of Adventure Time, I'd seen the original short, but I hadn't, well, I never watched the show. <clears throat> so when I got hired at WayForward, they, they told me ahead of time, it's Adventure Time. So I got all the episodes, I watched all the episodes <clears throat> and sort of tried to become the expert on that, that I would have been on Silent Hill. And then... Tried to fit as much fan service into the games as I could, like I would on Silent Hill. <laughs> mm. Of course, I'm also just remembering that WayForward did DuckTales reboot. <clears throat> we were talking DuckTales earlier. Um, are they are they are they on the Disney Afternoon collection? Is that is DuckTales part of that? Yeah, DuckTales is. So yeah, um, it's kind of cool that there's a demand for the original and yeah. the and the new version. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some um, confusion over here about why that is a thing because although we did have DuckTales and uh, Goof Troop and all that to an extent, I don't think there's quite the same level of affection for it or its NES games. But all obviously the Disney Afternoon Collection has come out over here and there's a few people who are kind of like completely nonplussed by it. Like, what is this? <laughs> uh, but but I, I, I think I, I, I get the uh, I get the uh, the culture of it um, yeah. from having spoken to uh, to... Yeah, American people with, who were kids at the time. It's just it was that, just that right age that hijacked. If we were watching TV, it was Disney afternoon, and then we'd go play NES. Of course, yeah, totally. Um, before I let you go, I've got a couple of questions from our wonderful community, and also before I ask those, I'm going to ask you one question myself, which uh, which came to mind. So um, we mentioned it earlier. M2 uh, ended up making Contra Rebirth, Castlevania Rebirth. And Gradius Rebirth, mm -hmm. um, and did did you play those? And did they live up to, you know, what you were hoping from that kind of a project? Um, I did play them. Um, I I played Gradius a little bit. I didn't play it when it was out. I played it when it was sent over as like, mm. hey, here's what this group is doing. It's kind of cool. 
Right. Um, Castlevania Rebirth I liked because uh, I played the Game Boy games back when they were came, coming mm. out. They weren't very good, but there were good ideas in them. And so I liked yeah. that M2 kind of took those ideas and turned them into a, a better game. That was really yeah. cool. Uh, and then Contra Rebirth was we were <laughs> we were trying to pitch new Contras. And yeah. That happened. So there was a little bitterness there. I'm just like, right. well, how come they just get to do this? Um, yeah. It was, you know, it, it was nice because Contra 4 kind of paved the way for that. And then totally, yeah. um, you know, the Japanese side was obviously excited enough that they made they contracted that. Um, yes. And we were working on um, what became Hardcore Uprising with Arc System Works oh, at the time. Wow. So mm. it was just kind of this confusion. And then you kind of realize when something's that confused, you're like, oh, we're not going to do that get to do that next mm. contra game are we because it's <laughs> it's kind of just yeah. a burst fire and then it's probably gonna end so um i have complex emotions about contra rebirth but i'm glad it, it's there i'm glad there's another classic contra game yeah. out there and i'm sure as a uh, as somebody who works for way forward you 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 must have a lot of respect for what m2 is and does as a coding um uh entity you know they they make these very very cool emulations oh yeah i, I think i have all of their yeah. Sega 3D games. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even games that I don't never played on in arcade or Mega Drive. Yeah. I have them. It's just so oh, their presentation's so good. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, well, I, I genuinely think that Contra Rebirth and Contra Four make a nice kind of um, a kind of set, a complement complementary set. And obviously, what they don't have that you had is uh, a really tall playing area, which <laughs> actually. Um, mimics the original aspect of the 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 of the original arcade machine. That's true. So, you know, yeah. Um, yes. So, uh, Tadinio from the forum would like to ask you, uh, what made you go? I think we've sort of answered it, but perhaps you can uh, in, enlarge on it. What made you go from working in one of video games' flagship horror franchises to work in a company that makes some of the most colourful and upbeat games in the industry? <laughs> um I actually that's a question lots of people ask. Um yeah. So <clears throat> it was great working on big important Konami games and yeah. Um I'm I guess I should, I'll point out here just because I'm also an extra in the opening to NGS4. Um yes, I saw that on your on your credits. So doing that's that very stuff cool. is really cool. Um it definitely has like as a as, you know as a long-time gamer it has that thrill factor of like oh my gosh, I'm a part of mm. I localized one Castlevania game. I'm part of it now, you know. Yeah, but you know my my goal has always been to be the one designing, directing the games, which you know Konami had a little more creative control over it. But at way forward, I'm the director of the game, so you know I'm I'm pitching it, I'm coming up with the gameplay concept, I'm you know helping design it, I'm I'm doing all the fun hands-on stuff, and so to me that's that's what's important rather than just being on the biggest game possible. So. Yeah. You know, for example, I worked on the Goosebumps game, which is on every platform imaginable. Yes. Um, it's a prequel to the recent Jack Black film. Uh, but I got to work in spooky things that we didn't get to do on Silent Hill. and I could sort of do that. I got to work on a point and click game. So to me, just at, working on another new genre, putting my ideas in, that's more fulfilling to me than being on like, well, everyone's going to play this. It's Silent Hill. Kind of back to your Legend of Karandia there with a the point and click thing. So <laughs> yes, it's come full circle. 
Uh, Craig from caterrince.com slash forum would like to ask, uh, how was working with a Japanese company on their IPs? Did they give you relatively free reign or were they very protective of their properties? Were there any misunderstandings or culture clashes on the projects? <laughs> um, actually, I'm, you know, I worked with two Japanese companies, Atlas and Konami. Yeah. Um, Konami, we kind of had free reign. Um, Silent Hill at the time was understood to be owned by Konami US. So oh, um, okay. theoretically, if if the fictional all-powerful Tom Hewlett had been able to do whatever he wanted, <laughs> he could have done whatever he wanted. But of course, that would not happen. You know, we, we, we made effort to talk to the originals team. We talked to Akira Yamoka a lot. Obviously, he was on most of the soundtracks. Um, but that wasn't required and, and we never really got, no one ever told us that's not what Silent Hill is. Um, mm. <clears throat> Rocket Knight again, that was kind of a homegrown thing. And so we got the compliment at the end from Nakazato son, but yeah, but there was never any oversight. And I will say our, our Japanese translator at the time took it upon herself to dig into old, the old games. We didn't have the old files. But she wanted to find all the original terms for the characters for Axel Gear and Sparkster and his jetpack and his sword. And so she made sure all of the Japanese terms were correct to the original games, which is, which is great. That's, that's um, cool. <clears throat> Castlevania, on the other hand, since it was an active mm. project from Japan, um, there was some misunderstanding with the localization because, you know, I was I was doing what I would consider good localization and making good terms and. Um, obviously making any references that existed correctly spelled or whatever, but um, since it wasn't a direct uh, Google Translate translation, there mm. was some, like, why are you changing this? And so we had to explain, like, well, we're not changing it. In English, this would be written this way. So it's it, we're, we're getting the same idea across. We're just not using the same words that if you type this into a program, you would see. But it, you yeah. know, so, so that's something, that's the only, that's the only clash I can think of. So it's a complicated process, a lot of admin, but not necessarily throwing, you know, throwing things at each other or, or just, you know, at loggerheads about particular things. It's more a, it's a sort of, it's a, it's a negotiation, isn't it? As much as right. anything. Oh, I guess yeah. we tried to put some Metal Gear content in Contra 4 and we were told no. Nope. Not <laughs> you, allowed. you do not use Metal Gear for anything. You do not cross the streams. Uh, yeah. Kojima wouldn't like it. No, or, it was, it was going to yeah. be a pacifism mode for Contra 4. You couldn't shoot. And you were going to be snake. See it all. It was thematically good. <laughs> yeah, they've done that sort of thing in um, Housemark. Have done that in Resogun. There's various no shooting modes, which is uh, which mm. is um, difficult. Yeah. Uh, Alex seventy nine UK asks: uh, Given your his history with the series, uh, I wonder if Tom was looking forward to Kojima's Silent Hills, and whether you were disappointed when it was canned. That was a great, that's a great question. Um, so I did not know about Silent Hills ahead of time. Yep. So it was a complete, it was, I was surprised as everyone else. Um, mm. I wasn't following, I don't know why I wasn't paying much attention to that was, was that Gamescom when it was announced? I think, or, or the demo went out something. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was in, <clears throat> in line with a show of some kind. Yeah. So I didn't hear about, um, anything, but there's a new Ko Kojima Silent Hill. Someone found it. Mm look at this thing. And so then I was like, Oh, PT, I'd never heard of that. I guess it's a silent yeah. hill thing. That's kind of, that's very Kojima. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I played it a couple weeks later, but I thought it was really good. I thought the, 
the solution was a little obscure, and so you end up wandering around yeah. after it's not cool anymore, and that's a shame. But hmm. <clears throat> for that first it was hour... It a playable teaser after all. Yeah. Right, right. That yeah. first hour was incredible. So mm. um, I'm a big Kojima fan. I love Metal Gear. So it was like, oh my gosh, what's he going to do with this? Um, that's really exciting. And then sort of a, a bummer because, mm. oh no, so the next guy to do Silent Hill is going to be Kojima. So it's going to be amazing. And then I will never get any vindication of like, well, maybe his weren't so bad because <laughs> they messed it up worse. <laughs> it's just going to be like, Kojima did this amazing thing. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we just have to follow Death Stranding now instead and hope that he puts some of the stuff that was going to be cool. Obviously, it wouldn't be the same. but It's still got Norman Reedus. Yeah. It's still got Norman Reedus. Uh, Del Toro's still certainly pimping it, even <laughs> if he's not directly involved. I'm not sure the the exact relationship, but uh, yeah, it should be cool. Um, so, just before I let you go, um, is there anything? I know I know the rules, the NDAs. Is there anything announced that you're working on now that you're allowed to tell us about? Um, there is not. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, working on stuff for way forward that we're not allowed to know about. Yep. That's Sorry. cool. That's fine. No, I understand. Um, I, I know how it works in this this modern era. Um, but is there anything um, you'd like to promote? Any any social media or anything that you're doing? Anything that people should just look up in general? Um, people should look up any of the games mentioned in this podcast. Um, yeah. <clears throat> my most recent games, like I said, are Lit, uh, which is on your phones or your Steam. I did the level design. Mm-hmm. My most recent directed game that you can know about and play is Goosebumps. Uh, <clears throat> it was not reviewed because review copies were not sent out. That does not mean it's not good. It's really good. I like it a lot. Um, if you like point yeah. and clicks and horror, you will too. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, um, keep watching Way Forward. They're very exciting. Um, if you haven't played Shantae Half Genie Hero yet, you should. Uh, I did not work on it, but it's good. Uh, and you can. I hear that a lot. You can follow my Twitter at uh, at hypnocrit, and uh, that's about it. That's all I can think of. That's cool. Yeah, follow follow hypnocrit and uh, send Tom some nice tweets. Because although I'm sure the the worst of it's faded away after the five years since the Silent Hill <laughs> HD collection, um, yeah, I'm, uh, it's the internet after all. And um, yeah, we we pride ourselves on on the Kane and Rinse community being. Uh, a different level of, uh, of of interaction in terms of what what you might expect and and in, yeah engagement and uh, intelligent discourse about <laughs> the the trouble and strife that you might have say developing uh, for a very very large company and a very large franchise. Um, but no, thank you, Tom, for, for for your time and for fitting into my schedule on this occasion and for telling us in yeah in such such uh, such detail and honesty about all all that's gone into your career so far and long. May it continue. Thanks so much. Uh, it, it, I mean, it sounds dumb, but it really was an honor to be on this podcast. I'm really excited. <laughs> it does sound dumb. No, it, <laughs> um, it sounds awesome. Um, and yeah, if we, if and when we cover uh, more Contra games, I would, yeah, I would love to have you on for Contra Four. That would be an absolute blast. To, I would love uh, it to have. We, we, we've done it with a few games now with um, Final Fight and uh, They Breathe and Mark of the Ninja and it's something I want to do more and more is to have uh, people who worked on the game actually there as we're, as we're criticising it <laughs> or, or being nice about it in a very tactful way. 
<laughs> but there's nothing you can't handle after 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 what's happened. Oh no, so. I can't imagine you'll have anything terrible about Contra yeah. Four to say compared to the Silent Hill stuff. Definitely not. Definitely.